Now you can pray with me. Would you join me just silently in your own heart and mind? God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. Just give that prayer to God silently today. God, since there's something you want me to hear, I'm willing to listen. And God, may you be glorified. May everyone hearing this message today be edified and may Satan be horrified. In Jesus' name, amen. Chapter 19, open your Bibles or a gadget and get there today. And we are going to be talking about Jesus will return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What a wonderful song set this morning from our worship team. The songs couldn't have been picked better. The theme of Jesus as King on the throne and ruling. Well, we're going to talk a little bit about that today and then next week, the literal rule of Jesus on this earth again. We'll talk about that. Uh, and Revelation 19 talks about Jesus coming back for the second coming. Uh, we need to probably go through a couple of the things. We'll do that in just a second to make sure we're caught up on the um, time frame of where we're at here in Revelation. In Revelation 19, 16, this is where we get that wonderful line, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. On his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. We know him as that. The whole world will know him as that uh, before everything is done. So we've done all the sealed judgments. Just a reminder, we've done all the trumpet judgments. We've done all the bold judgments. And then last week we talked about... Um, the destruction of Babylon. And then let's show you where we're at here on our chart. We started here, Revelation chapter 1. That is where we started with the blessing. Remember, we're promised a blessing for reading and following the book of Revelation. And we have read every word so far up to chapter 19. I didn't think we would be able to do it. I thought, boy, that's a lot of scripture reading during a service. But we've done every word of the book of Revelation. So then we went to the present. That's the past, who Jesus is. Now the present was the seven churches of Asia, and then we started talking through all those judgments, uh, the fall of Babylon, we ended last week, so now we're in the last three sections as we talk about uh, the end of times and the return of Christ. The second coming, everybody say second. I don't want you to be confused on that. We believe that the next thing to happen is the rapture, where Christ comes down, but he does not come all the way down feet on the ground. He comes in the clouds, and we are going to be raptured to heaven. That's the coming of Christ. That's the next coming of Christ that we're looking for. The series is called Worship, Watch, and Warn. And we're to watch for him to come for us, his bride. And then after the seven years of tribulation, at the end of that period where we're talking about today is the second coming. The first coming uh, is when he comes for his bride, takes us home, no feet on the ground. The second coming, he comes with feet on ground and he will uh, end things at that point with all the, the, the seven years of tribulation. That's where we're at. Don't forget the books of Daniel talks about the 70 weeks. Uh, so we have already talked about all of this. And this was the mystery, the unknown time in the book of Daniel. They didn't know about the church age. They did not know about you and me. Uh, they had no idea what was coming. And so this is an unknown time frame. We don't know. We don't have a time for this. But it will end when the Antichrist comes and makes that peace covenant, and that's the seven-year tribulation, first three and a half years are bad, 
He breaks the covenant with Israel, and the last three and a half are horrific. That's where we've been walking out for the last several weeks going, ugh, all of the uh, judgments that are taking place. And then we ended last week, and we would have, you would have thought toward the end of there, we'd see the second coming of Christ, which we'll talk about today. But instead, we had a pause, and we heard about the fall of Babylon. And that brings us now to the second coming of Christ. Man, that's a lot. Everybody, take a breath. Let's get scripture ready. And what I want to do is read for you Revelation 1 through 7. Uh, That was really the tag from the fall of Babylon. And I'm going to read those first, and then we'll commence with today's second coming of the Lord. So Revelation 19, verse 1. After this, I heard what sounded like a roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again, they shouted, Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. The 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne. And they cried, Amen. Hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, you who fear him, both great and small. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like a roaring of rushing waters, like a peal, loud peal of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. So those first seven verses are kind of the refrain after uh, what we saw, the fall of Babylon. Heaven is rejoicing. Judgment is being uh, meted out. And again, we remind you that God's justice is true and right. It's not uh, unjust anger. It's not rage. This is not God flying off the handle. Our God is very deliberate. And he tells us in Scripture how he will judge and what he will do. So it's not a rage. It's thought out. And that comes to an end with the praise and glory. Somebody should write a a song for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah, amen, all those great words. I think they have. We sing these songs all the time, don't we? And a lot of these songs we sing about praise comes from Revelation. Well, then we can move into today. Uh, Again, uh, talking about Jesus Christ coming again, the second coming. We're gonna talk about The marriage of the Lamb. Not to be confused with the marriage supper of the Lamb. We'll try to throw that all together today. Let me continue reading in in verse 7. We finished with the first part of that. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory. And then it says, For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Let's stop there for a second. We are living in the church age. The mystery to the Old Testament saints, they didn't understand what was going to happen. Paul started talking about how the gospel was going to be more for the not just the Jews any longer, but for everybody, the whole world, all the Gentiles too. And the church age started at Pentecost and continues to this very day. We're living in the time of the church age. This morning, I don't want to hurt your brain. I don't want you to get upset by it. I don't want you to be overwhelmed by it. But you need to know, I've been telling you this since I've got here as your pastor. I'm a dispensationalist. I believe God does certain things at certain times in certain ways. 
If you don't believe that's true, I don't know how you can read the Bible and see the whole Testament and the whole system of sacrifices and animals and all those things very different. Everybody say different. God chose to work at that time in that way, and now it's a new dispensation. We're in the dispensation of grace, not law any longer. Well, because of that, you need to know that the Old Testament saints, I use that term because that's the term they use for people who are saved before Christ died on the cross, right? All those Old Testament saints believed, and the Bible says it was counted unto them as righteousness. They followed the law, but the law didn't save them. It only pointed out their sinfulness. Are you still with me? Somebody say yes, PD. I sit here and spin and spin and spin, and I'm working up here, and I'm thinking they're gone. They're thinking about lunch already. Stop thinking about lunch. It'll be there when you get there, I promise. So the Old Testament saints believed by faith, but they hadn't had Jesus I mean, Moses didn't have Jesus to say, oh, he died on a cross for my sins. No, he had faith, and God counted unto him as righteousness. They couldn't have a righteousness of their own. Jesus hadn't died on a cross yet. And so when I talk to you about salvation, it's, it's through Jesus Christ. We know now from the past, Jesus was God's son, sinless, died on the cross in my place, so that there's this great exchange. When God asked me someday, who's paying for the sin? I'm going to say, I asked Jesus to forgive me of my sin. Moses could not ask Jesus to forgive him of his sin because Jesus hadn't died on the cross yet. So there's a whole group of people that are Old Testament saints, and they're saved. Don't get confused. They're in. They're going to be in heaven with us. We're going to be singing songs to Jesus, and Moses is going to be singing too. He's going to be excited to know that his faith sprung to reality, and Jesus came and died for sins. But they are different than we are. And this morning when we talk about it, there's there's a lot of different categories, but let's make it simple. There's three There's Old Testament saints that were saved by faith before Jesus. And then there's the the group of us, the church age in the the age of grace. uh, We're saved, but we're called the bride of Christ. The Old Testament saints are not the bride of Christ. We are the church age. We're the bride of Christ. And then there's the tribulation saints. They died after the, the rapture, and they're also saved, but they're not, from what I gather, the bride of Christ. They're all, we're all going to be in heaven, amen? I don't think there's going to be uh, boroughs and villages. I don't think we're all going to be hanging out separate. I think we're all going to be together. It doesn't matter what day and age you were born in, we're all going to be together. But when we start talking about this message, you need to know the marriage of the Lamb. That's us. That's us. This is what's coming for us. And so as I read here, the wedding of the Lamb has come. The bride has made herself ready. That's us. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given for her to wear. Scripture tells us that when we see that white linen, that's purity. That bright, it calls it a bright white linen. It's been washed in the blood of the Lamb, and now it's righteousness. It's pure. It's holy. And that's us, the bride of Christ. We are His precious possession. And He's been... It's... In the New Testament, we hear that beautiful illustration when we're told that Jesus is coming again for his bride. He goes to prepare a place for us. 
If he weren't going, he would have told us, but he went to prepare a place for us. In Jewish culture, when a, a, a young man wanted to marry a young woman, an arrangement was made, and it wasn't just get married and, and go. It, it was prepare for your bride. And the young man would have to go, and typically he would build on to his father's house. He would build on room, and it would have to be built and finished completely before the father would give approval for him. Now you're ready for your bride. And so that whole analogy in the New Testament about a groom preparing for his bride is going to be fulfilled here today. Finally, God is going to say to his son, go get her. (laughs) Go get her. It's time for the the marriage. And we see the bride. What what are the clothes that the, the bride is wearing? Fine linen, clean and bright. The marriage takes place in heaven before the second coming. So as far as I can tell, as I'm looking at the timeline, the tribulation is coming to an end. And then right about the time, right before Jesus comes with his bride, which by the way, points to uh, pre-tribulation because we're there with him and then come back with him at the second coming. If we weren't there, we couldn't come back with him. We'd be here, and he'd be coming down to us. Instead, we're there, and this wedding takes place in heaven. Everybody say heaven. So this marriage takes place above. And then we move to the supper. The supper's different than the marriage. The marriage is between the bride, us, and Christ. When he died on the cross, he died for all mankind so that all might be saved, all sin. However, his bride is precious to him, this church age. Us, we're precious, we're dear to him. And he's going to come back for us and he's going to call us his own. And this is what we're going to start talking about then. We move to the supper. Weddings are great. As a pastor, I get to do weddings. I tease every once in a while. My wife hates it when I tease about weddings and funerals. I, I often joke and say I'd rather do three funerals than one wedding because you can't screw up a funeral, but you dare not screw up a wedding. If you mess up a wedding, you're in big trouble. and They're going to hate you forever. And so it's a lot of pressure at a wedding. I've never failed at a funeral. I did, I've never finished a funeral and they said, no, nope, now he's, he's alive again. You blew it. You got to start over again, Pastor. No, I, I mean, funerals, pretty much the outcome is going to be the outcome. You know it. Weddings, whoo. Weddings can be fun. Add in a bunch of kids. Oh, my. Hopefully not pets. Oh, man, if puppies and, and children are all in the wedding, I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of things that could go wrong. I've had weddings that have been scary. Um, Nothing terrible has happened at any of my weddings. Uh, I've never had anybody pass out yet. I'm keeping that record alive. We're, we're trying to keep a good... Weddings are great, but sometimes I wonder that bride, she has a thought in her mind and she has a dream. She's probably had it since she's a little girl. I mean, she didn't know who the guy was going to be and she didn't care. She was planning her wedding, you know, and, and she's, she's got all these stuff. When I've been to Hawaii with my wife before, I've always sat back and gone, oh, sweetie. There's brides that dream of having a wedding on the beach in Hawaii. And if you've done that, good for you. But I know what the dream is. Every girl's dream is that beautiful sunset and just a beautiful sandy beach and the, the flowing dress and the guests are all happy because they're in Hawaii. And, and there's, this, there's this vision of perfection. You know what reality is? Reality is never that. Because, oh, sweetie, it's the ocean. And the wind blows. 
at least 20 miles an hour. And your dream of this beautiful, calm wedding is never. It, it's, it's 20 miles an hour wind and your thing's flying off. Sand's getting everywhere. There's a big fat guy in a Speedo in every picture. Because it's a public beach. You don't own the beach. So you don't control the... There's always that guy in the background, right? And, oh, the dream is shattered. The dream is shattered. For us, as the bride of Christ... We're there in heaven. He's come to take us at the rapture. We've been with him watching all this unfold. And now the father says, the marriage, the marriage is time. We have this marriage and immediately, I won't spend too much time talking about it, but immediately after the marriage in heaven, we proceed with Christ, the groom. We go with him and we start what's called the millennial age. So, That takes place at the outset here with the supper. Apparently the supper takes place here on earth. Everybody say on earth. I don't know if that ruins your imagery of what you had in your mind, but we've got the marriage takes place in heaven and immediately, boom, we come with Christ and then we're going to talk about what happens. But after Christ has victory, the millennium starts and we are with Christ here and there's a supper that takes place. Matter of fact, Luke 22, put it on the screen if you could. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. So the last supper right there, and he's been talking to them about it. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Everybody say kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. Everybody say kingdom of God. This can be confusing and I don't want it to confuse you. Your pastor quite often tells you and reminds you we're kingdom people, right? Amen? And we are kingdom people. In the New Testament, there's a lot of preaching about the kingdom of God that happens and we're kingdom people. But you need to know that what we're talking about today and next Sunday is when Christ physically comes and begins his kingdomly reign again here on earth. That's what Jesus was referring to in Luke. He was saying, I won't drink of the vine again until, until he comes, feet on the ground, and establishes his kingdom here. Are we kingdom people now? Absolutely. We're part of something much bigger than this earth. We're part of God's kingdom. But his physical, actual reign will happen at the beginning of the millennial. The guest, who are the guests at this supper? Let's read on. Uh, So let's read verse nine. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. I don't know if they're invited to the wedding. The Bible doesn't tell us. I would assume they were there to watch. The Old Testament saints, the tribulation saints, probably the holy angels. Again, there's all these different types of people. And, and the wedding takes place. I, I assume they're there. But they are invited. Who are the invited guests? I think the invited guests to the marriage supper are the Old Testament saints and the tribulation believers, possibly even the holy angels. And the supper takes place. And then immediately, verse 10, at this I fell at the feet to worship him. Don't forget, it was the angel said to me, these are the true words of God. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, don't do that. 
I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers and sisters who hold to the testimony of Jesus, worship God. For it is the spirit of prophecy who bears testimony to Jesus. In verse 10, we see the essence of true worship. John is seeing this, the marriage and the supper, and he's, he's overwhelmed, and the angel is talking about it. All of a sudden, John just kind of falls at the angel's feet and begins to worship the angel. And I love that the angel just says, don't do that. Now, there's some scripture that takes really hard effort to interpret. That one doesn't take anything. The angel said, don't do that. <laughs> there's no mixing of words there. The angels don't worship me. And we know that that is true throughout all scripture. Genuine worship of God is of God alone. Luke 4 in verse 8, it says, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. I imagine John's overwhelmed. We're at 19 chapters. He's been doing a lot of good writing and, and thinking and vision seeing and all this stuff. And, and this angel is probably bright and glowing. And, and he just, he's overwhelmed and he stops to worship the angel. And the angel immediately says, no, 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 no. No, I'm just like you. I'm a servant. I'm a messenger. But we, we are brothers and sisters in this. We are not uh, to be worshipped. Angels are not to be worshipped. I won't get on that whole diatribe, but today there's a lot of angel worship. Um, you might have a lot of angels around your home. I'm not saying you're wrong for that. I'm just saying be careful. A lot of people want to name their guardian angel. The Bible doesn't tell us specifically we have an angel. I hope I get five or six. I'm scary in things. When I'm riding my Harley, I want the whole legion with me, right? Uh, uh, but we aren't to worship angels. We're not to put a focus on angels are created beings. They're not God. God is to be worshiped alone. So in verse 10, we see the essence of true worship. It's the genuine worship of God alone, and it's the greater adoration of Jesus. My prayer is through revelation. As hard as it can be to understand, always take your mind back to a greater adoration of Jesus, what he's done for us, that he'll come for us, that he's the groom that's preparing a place for us, and he will have ultimate victory. And then we move on to, finally, the second coming. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. That's, that's us. He just, he just talked about the bride, and that's us. We're coming back with him. Verse 15. Out of his mouth was a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Let's stop and look at the description. Here it comes. The marriage took place in heaven. Now he's coming back with his bride to the earth. The supper takes place and immediately we get this description. He comes riding on a white horse. Notice the imagery of white again, but notice the imagery of a horse. When, when Jesus came on this earth, 
when he came into Jerusalem, remember his triumphal entry? Was he riding on a white horse? Was he riding on a black horse? He wasn't riding on a horse at all. He was riding on a donkey, right? The imagery of those two things are contrasted. The coming on a donkey is humble. It's a servant. A donkey is a work animal. It's, it's a servant. The imagery now of Jesus coming back, he's not coming back on a donkey. He's coming back on a white horse, which symbolizes he's a warrior. He's a warrior king. He's coming back, not on a donkey. At this point, he's not coming back to the earth to serve us. No, he's coming back to proclaim justice. So he rides on a white horse. He is called faithful and true. Notice in Revelation 19, 1 through 7, a lot of comment was made. What you have done is right. It's just. It's true. Your judgment is correct. It's not overdone. It's not underdone. It's perfect. He is called the faithful one, the true one. And his eyes are like blazing fire. You can probably find a lot of art if you Google this, uh, the white horse, Jesus on his linen with the blazing fire sticking out of his eyes and all that. Uh, Symbolism there. I don't think Jesus' eyes are fire. They're like fire. And he's crowned with many crowns. I just got to stop there and just say, I love the simplicity of that. We've heard of all sorts of, you know, we've gone through Revelation 1 through 19. There's been a lot of crowns mentioned here and there. You know, the beast comes out. He's got 10 here or there, and he's got seven here or there, horns and everything sticking out. And we're all like, wow, these crowns, what are these? They're nations. All I know is when Jesus comes back, we're not even going to put a number to it. He's coming back with many crowns. Many crowns. I love that. It symbolizes his, his might, his worth, his kingship, his honor due him. Uh, I know that, that the, the Bible talks about us receiving crowns of righteousness when we get to heaven, rewards, and then quickly we're throwing them at the feet of Jesus. He's got crowns going on everywhere. Think about all the people who've been saved that receive a crown to throw them back. He's got, anybody have a lot of hats? Who's got hats? You got a lot of hats I got a little collection of hats, um, and I stack them up, and you know my golf hats are all in one place. And I can't imagine Jesus' throne room and the crowns he has uh, stacked up. Holy, holy, holy is his name, the righteous and true, the faithful one. He's got many crowns, a lot more than the Antichrist ever had. He's got one unknown name. Don't you love that? Again, Revelation, it tells you there are things you don't know. And there's things we're not going to let you know, and you can't figure them out. Even if you tried, you're just making it up. He's got an unknown name. Don't try to figure it out. Only he knows that name. But he's got another name, the Word of God. He's got another name, faithful and true. We can go through all the names of Jesus, and the Bible is pointing out, uh, we know from John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God. That's one of his names. And he's dressed in a white robe dipped in blood. Don't overthink that. Some people think it's like proclaiming the victory of the war before the war happened. The blood's there before the war. It's kind of weird to me. It could. I, I think it's, he died on the cross. We're reminded of the blood. But he's coming as a warrior when he comes at the second coming, whatever you might think that means. And then we start learning about his armies, the armies, us, following him, riding on a white horse, dressed in fine linen and white and clean. I've told you this. I need to practice. Don't invite me, though. I'm not ready. Uh, uh, we're coming back on horses. I'm a little nervous about that because they scare me. We're going to be riding with him. 
The good news is, from everything I read, we kind of just ride along. It's just a ride along. <laughs> because if I got to ride a horse and fight a, a battle, we're, you, you know, I mean, don't be near me. When you go to war, you want to be with somebody you can count on, right? You want to go with somebody who's got your six. That's not me. <laughs> I'm going to be the one scared to death of the horse I'm on, let alone right, trying to sling a sword. But the good news is, we're not coming fighting. We're not coming fighting. We're coming on a ride along. Anybody ever ride along with a cop in a car, do a ride along? Yeah? I hear about people that do ride alongs and then something happens. And that's like what you're hoping for. But you know what happens if you're on a ride along and something big happens? They lock you in the back of the car. (laughs) You're not to go. You don't get to jump out. They're not handing you a gun like, okay, here we go. No, you're not trained. You're riding along. In a very small way, we're coming back with him on white horses. It's going to be quite a scene. But the battle, what I love is the battle and how quickly it's over. We're, we're clothed in clean white linens, the Bible says. We're riding on white horses. We're with Jesus. But it, I don't, it doesn't appear that we're ever engaged in battle because the battle's really short. So what are Jesus' actions? Starting in verse 15, coming out of his mouth, a sharp sword. He strikes down the nations. He'll rule them with an iron scepter. And then on his robe, on his thigh, he has the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What are his actions? Well, out of his mouth is this sharp sword. You'll learn later, it just kills everybody that's here that does not believe. Rules with an iron scepter. It's interesting. He's the good shepherd. And apparently, even with an iron scepter, he's still the good and kind shepherd. For us, we don't need to fear this iron scepter. But he will rule and he will be strong as far as a ruler. And he treads the winepress of God's wrath. The final thing, the final war is happening. But there's a name on his thigh. Lots of names here, isn't there? Name on his thigh, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, folks, I, let's be very careful here. I don't mind tattoos. Those of you who hate tattoos... All right, that's fine. You can hate tattoos. Um, I suggest if you hate tattoos, you don't personally get one. But if you know somebody who has a tattoo, don't bother them about their tattoos. I was talking to this fine young man about his sleeve today. He's got the most beautiful art on his sleeve, some of the most best shading I've ever seen. And I, I look at that this passage because I've heard this passage used for people who want to convince their parents that tattoos are okay. They bring them to Revelation chapter 19. Jesus has a tattoo. Anybody ever hear that before? Jesus has a tattoo. It says that on his thigh is written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Now, I'm not going to tell you that Jesus had a tattoo today. I've also heard that Jesus, as a Jewish rabbi, would have had his talent. I've taught this before. I don't have time to teach it today. But this talent, the prayer, am I saying it right, Julie? Shawl. Is it with an L? Shaw, not shaw. What's a shaw? I always say shaw. It's not a shaw, it's a shawl. Uh, it's called a tallet in the Old Testament. Tallet means tent. So they prayed and they covered themselves. So it was a prayer tent. But the, the tallet had at each corner these special knots tied. I don't know if you can see that very well. There's knots and there's special wrappings and then there's more knots. Then there's the long tassel part. For a Jewish man, these were his identity. Everybody say identity. 
I won't go into the whole thing today, but I love preaching about that because there's so much in the Old Testament about this. Saul, remember when Saul was in the cave and David snuck up and he cut off the corner of his garment, his tallet? He, he, David cut that off of Saul. And that's a big deal because Saul was king. His identity would have been kind of big and ornate. See, Saul being king would have had the really coolest knots and the longest thing ever tied there. It would have been awesome. David snipped that off. And then remember, David went to the other side and he went, na, 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 I got your corner. And that was a big no-no. You're cutting off the guy's identity. That's who he's supposed to be. We know that from Old Testament studies that if you got in trouble in the community, maybe you did something wrong and divorced your wife or whatever happened, infidelity or something, the, the community would snip your tassel. You got snipped. You were cut down to size, let's say, right? And so the length of your tassel is really your identity. The longer the length, that means you're more revered in the community. Now, all that just to say, does Jesus have a tattoo? I don't know. But it is interesting if he's wearing his talent and he's riding a horse, where does it fall? (laughs) It's his name. Perhaps it's just his talent and it falls right on his thigh. And his talents, the corner of his tassels, say he is the king of kings and lord of lords. I don't know. It's kind of cool that it falls there. It naturally is that. But whether we think it's, uh, if you need to make the case for the tattoo for your parents, go ahead and try. We don't know for sure. It's also written on his garment too, so um, that could possibly be referring. If it's on his garment and it falls on his thigh, maybe it is the, the tallet, the tent, the prayer covering. We don't know for sure. But his name will be clear. And then I saw in heaven, verse 17, an angel standing in the sun who cried in a loud voice to all the birds flying in midair, come gather together for a great supper of God so that you may eat the flesh of kings, generals, mighty, the mighty of horses and their riders and the flesh of all the people, free and slave, great and small. So there's actually two suppers mentioned in Revelation 19. The first is the supper of the marriage of the lamb. And that's a celebration of joy and life. Um, we're going to celebrate this wonderful thing that the groom has come and taken us for his own. It's, it's full of life and full of joy. But now all of a sudden we hear of a second supper and it's the carnage of war and it's all about judgment and death. It's grim. If you've ever watched Hitchcock the Birds, anybody ever watch Hitchcock the Birds? It ruined me as a child. I watched it as a 10-year-old. I wouldn't go outside for weeks. I was afraid of every bird. I'm still kind of freaked out by birds, to be honest with you. I don't like lots of them. I don't like going to the beach and they put the food out. and I'm like, I've never watched Hitchcock the Birds. But this is the actual scene. Maybe Hitchcock was reading this one night and thought, wow, that's a horror story. We're, we're told of a second supper. The second supper are... It's those who refuse the invitation to the first supper will be consumed in the second. So you're invited to join the marriage of the Lamb and be a part of the marriage supper of the Lamb. And if you refuse that, you're what's for dinner <laughs> for these birds. They come and eat the flesh. And actually, I don't believe it's of all the people. We'll, we'll get to that in the next two weeks. Um, It's about the army. So we've got the call to the birds in verse 19. Then I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and the armies gathered together to wage war against the rider on the horse and his army. But the beast was captured and with it the false prophet who had performed the signs on its behalf. 
With these signs, he had deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest were killed with a sword coming out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all the birds gorged themselves on the flesh. So we have this call to the birds. The angel calls them and says, Supper time. You've got the armies. And what I love what Scripture says is that this fight, we're coming on horses, Jesus is riding ahead of us, it's not much of a fight. Don't you love when we read through Revelation, it culminates with Jesus coming and the sword comes out of his mouth and it's done. And they're gone. They're wiped out. Talk about a battle, talk about a victory, talk about a lack of us needing to worry about swinging swords while we're on our horses. No need for that. Jesus will do it immediately. We hear about the armies of the east and west. We've already talked about the armies from the north and the south. That's happened in the tribulation. But now before the east and the west armies collide, they'll unite to fight against the descending Christ. But it doesn't last long. We know that the doom of the beast will happen. The battle will be over as soon as Christ appears and opens his mouth. 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 8. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. All Christ does is come on a horse and opens his mouth, and it is done. I love that. I wish anything in life was that simple for me. Wouldn't it be great if you could just open your mouth and it was done? As parents, you've got to open your mouth and then open and 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 open. You've got to say it 20 times for it to catch. Nothing is ever that immediate. But for Christ, he comes on the horse, he opens his mouth, and judgment is done. Quick. And then, both the beast and the false prophet will be sent directly into the lake of fire, where they'll be there for the millennium. We'll get to that next week. And the destruction of the armies is the last first there. The birds come and consume the flesh. I believe this radical death is reserved for the armies, those who are fighting and waging war. They're the ones who are wiped out there immediately, and the birds have their feast. So what do we have today? There is some stuff that makes you go, whoa. Uh, but all you need to remember is that we are his bride. The church age are his people, and we are saved we're secure, and our groom is coming to take us. We will celebrate that union. We will have a feast, but we will also come back with him riding on horses, and he will take care of it. We don't need to worry about our, our skills. So if you've been working on your horse riding and ninja skills, you don't really need to worry about it, just the horse part. But then, boom, it's done. We know that justice is complete. Next week and the week after, I'm going to start talking about the millennial reign, the, the actual physical reign of Christ from Jerusalem and what we'll be doing here because we're going to not be in heaven. Have you really thought about that? For a thousand years, we will be here. So if you haven't got out to the Grand Canyon, there will be time. My, my senior pastor, Brian Spencer, I loved him. He would dream about this whole thing and he was so excited about the millennium. Because there was places he couldn't go that he wanted to get to. Now, he believed, I don't know, he believed that we'll be able to fly. Not, not on planes. Like Delta, you're out. Because he believes we can just like, hey, I'm going to go to Colorado. 
Wouldn't that be cool? I hope that's true. It would be so awesome if in the millennial reign for a thousand years, there's going to be nothing but peace. Christ will reign with an iron scepter and we can probably travel and see anything we want and experience anything. Start dreaming about that this week. We'll pick it up next week and talk about the millennial and then we'll talk about the eternal state after the thousand year reign. Let me pray. And the band should have been coming. I saw them coming. They're close. They're coming. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for Jesus today. We thank you for your son, the king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords. Oh, Father, we read so many things about beasts and things coming up out of the sea and in land and they have crowns. But Father, today we read that, that Jesus, with many crowns, he's righteous, he's faithful, he's true. He's the word of God. He is our groom. And Father, he will come and he will bring victory, Lord, victory. And we don't need to worry about that, Lord. A lot of times we want to control things and we think we have to participate with you to make things work. But God, I'm thankful to see that when we come with you, you're taking care of the hard work. All the heavy lifting has been done on the cross and Christ will finish it. And then we get to just enjoy him and eternity. Father, we thank you for that promise. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.